Well, good morning, Midtown. It's good to be here. I had the privilege of being here when uh, this new building was commissioned for New Life Midtown. And then I came about a month ago and just kind of sat over there. And I just have to tell you, you're a beautiful community. And I have the privilege of traveling and seeing different churches and communities. And this one is just full of love. And the way you love each other is honoring to God. We, we are known that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. And it's evident. Your love is evident. So um, it's good to be here with you this morning. So thank you for having me. And thank you to Pastors uh, Jade and Christy for having me. And I look forward to having the conversation that God has been having with me. Um, it's when we decide to walk in step with the Spirit. Um, I know we've been in a series about life in the Spirit, and when we decide we're going to walk in the Spirit, uh, there are things that He does in us. And why as believers would we ever want to walk outside of where the Spirit is moving, outside of His empowerment, outside of His goodness and His filling of who He is in and through us? Why would we ever do that? And yet we do. But when we decide to walk in step with his spirit, inevitably, he will cause us to see things and people differently. God is the one who gives us sight to see things the way that he sees them. And for, and for many of us, sight is a very important thing, right? Um, some of us who are getting older, you're trying to read that menu in the dim lighting at the restaurants or... Sometimes we have a degenerative disease or we were born with something that, like reading and seeing and faces and stoplights. It can be difficult. It's important to us. Sometimes our sight can be obstructed. Maybe you've been in a theater and there's a very tall person standing or sitting right in front of you. And then other times our sight can be hindered temporarily by something. And this is what happened to me several years back. I was getting ready to speak at a conference and my car was literally just filthy and I think I needed like clean headspace before I went in to speak. And so I thought, I'm just gonna go get a quick car wash really fast before heading over to the church. And it was one of those car washes that are open on both ends and you just drive in and the brushes do all the work. And then you drive out and it's clean. So I drove in to get this car wash. And, and I don't know if you do this, but I usually just check every window. I pulled up on every single button just to make sure all the windows were closed. And when I pulled on the button that was for the passenger front passenger side window, when I pulled on it, it clicked off and broke. And then the window went down and went in locked position. Now this time I'm already in the car wash and the water has started. And within moments, the jets coming in the passenger window into my eyes. I can't see a thing. There's water filling up my car. Now remember I was about to speak. So I am drenched. My hair is drenched. My makeup's drenched. There's just water coming in in abundance. If you don't believe me, roll down your window sometime. It's pretty forceful. I can't see a thing. And all I can think of, the foam is coming. 
And with obstructed sight, I remember that there's a master button on the driver's side, and I reach over and I find it, and I pull it up, and all the windows go up just as the foam is coming down. The blue, pink, yellow goodness of soap. Now, I was taking assessment of my world, right? There is just water everywhere, and I'm thinking, how am I going to speak? So I call my friend, and I ask her, can you meet me at the church? I need you to bring me some clothes. I need you to bring me stuff to do my hair, my makeup. And I'm telling her the whole story, and she's entering into the drama with me. And I'm like, and then the water is coming, the window went up, and the phone came down. And she's entering into this whole moment of, of what had just taken place with me. And she brought me the things, and I got to the church, and I spoke. And later, I was telling my husband the exact same story. I was telling it and he was not entering into the drama and I got to the place and the window and the thing and the boom and he just stood there and looked at me and he said, why didn't you just drive out? Oh yeah, I didn't think about that one. And I thought about how often we will choose to live with the symptoms of something in our life rather than getting to the root cause of that. And this is true in life, and this is true spiritually for us as well. As we think about spiritual blindness and how often we choose to live in a state of spiritual blindness and not seeing the things right in front of us that God wants us to see, the people, how he wants us to view himself. And the root problem of that is a lack of surrender and a lack of faith and a lack of obedience. And so we live with the symptoms and we live without the cure. See, there's a difference between my sight and his sight. God is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He can see all things and nothing is hidden from his sight. He's not surprised by our circumstances. He's not surprised by our lack of faith. He's not surprised when bad things happen. He is over all things. He is infinitely above it and over it and through it all. And so this is the sight that we need to live our lives. We need the one who is writing the grand redemptive narrative. And he is. He's writing a story that from the beginning pages of Scripture until the climax of Scripture, all of the pieces, all of the storylines, all of them are pointing to God's redemption of broken lives and broken people. It's on every page if we have eyes to see it. And that same redemption is on every page in my life too. He's redeeming those places, the brokenness. And he's writing this story, and because he's writing it, he's the main character. And I'm tempted to think that I'm the main character because I'm in every scene. In my life, I'm in every scene, and I'm tempted to think that I'm the main character of this life. And when, we're, when we choose to take the posture that we're the main character of our lives, then we formulate every situation, and we manipulate people and circumstances to benefit us. When we see God as the main character of his story and the redemptive story plotline that he's writing, then we are going to surrender all of our rights and privileges and entitlements to him. And when we choose to surrender the pen and say, God, write my story the way that you see fit, I will play this part as written. 
then we begin to see life the way that he sees it. But men and women, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'll envision that a script from God has been sent and delivered to the foot of my bed every morning. And I have this choice of picking this up and taking out my pen and rewriting. I might look at a line and say, well, that's a crummy line. She has a better line than I have. And so I want to alter that. Or I see a scene coming up that I know is going to be painful or hurtful. And so I want to omit that scene, omit those lines. And then because we think higher of ourselves than we ought to think, I add in stuff, right? Like, well, what if I said this? That's good. I'm going to write that in. Or what if I have this happen to her? Oh, that's really good. Because we want to be seen. We want to be known. And men and women, the only way to have God's sight is to surrender that pen and to play the part that he's given us as written. When we demand to write our own story, we lose sight. You see, I can never see life totally the way that God sees it. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow or 10 years from now or 100 years from now. He's the only one who can see it that way. And I cannot see, as hard as I try, that light and momentary affliction is building for me a weight of glory in my future. Because when I am in affliction, it neither seems light nor momentary. Right? When we're in the middle of a trial or affliction or difficult times, things don't seem light. They seem painful. They don't seem momentary. They seem to last longer than we know we have the strength to endure. And that is why God uses those trials to bring us into his presence and to say, God, unless you show up. And on my good days, I'll say, God, this really hurts. Are you not listening Do you not see? Can't you help me out here? On the good days, I say those things, but I have hope that he is working all things together for my good and for his glory. On bad days, it's more just like, ah, God, this hurts. I don't feel like you're listening. I don't feel like you hear me. I don't feel like you care. My prayers don't seem to be answered. And we can, we can fall into hopelessness. And then after hopelessness comes faithlessness. And the disciples were in a similar situation at times. They had been following Jesus. And there was this point in John chapter 6, starting in verse 66, where um, the disciples, of the large crowds of disciples who had been following Jesus started to dissipate. He would say things that would offend them. He would call out of them things that would require great amounts of faith and effort and sacrifice. And so they started to leave. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave me as well? And then Peter says, Jesus, where else would we go? You alone have the gift of eternal life. You are the son of God. And I feel like the things that maybe Peter didn't say are, Jesus, we're outcasts. Like, we're the weirdos. And the food and the accommodations are far less than we had anticipated. We left our families. We left our our jobs and our identity. And we work really long days. And half the time, if we're really honest, Jesus, we don't even really understand what you're saying. 
And I think the same is true for us. I think there are times as we are disciples of Jesus following him, a trial comes into our life, a hardship. We look at our lives and we say, you know what? Raising small kids and taking care of elderly parents is just too much. This marriage, it wasn't exactly what I was anticipating when I said I do. There never seems to be enough money. I'm always tired. There doesn't seem to be enough time. And when I pick up your word, I'm not even exactly sure what you're saying. And some people leave the faith. Some people say, you know what, it's not worth it. But like Peter, where else do we go? Only Jesus has the gift of eternal life. He is the son of God. He's offered us redemption. He's offered us his life. And our job is to surrender and to, and to say yes and to walk by faith even when we can't see. But we pray, God, give us the eyes to see. Give us your perspective. Perspective is really important. There's a difference between my sight and his sight, but there's also a difference between my sight and his perspective. And there's a story in John chapter 9 Verses 1 through 38 that we're going to read in a moment that talks about how Jesus heals a blind man who was born from birth blind. And he heals him by using mud and putting that into his eyes. And before we read the passage, I just want to tell you about a time when my husband and I were teaching three-year-olds. By the way, if you've never taught three-year-olds, Rachel can help you out. They are the most fun age group to teach. My husband and I taught three-year-olds for many, many years. And we learned so much from them. But on this one particular occasion of teaching three-year-olds, I was going to be teaching the story of the blind man. And my husband thought it would be really great to have like a little object lesson. So he brought in a bowl full of dirt and he poured the water in it. And he was making mud while I was teaching the story. And when I got to the part where I said, and then Jesus spat into the mud and that made the mud and he put it in the blind man's eyes. One disturbed little toddler cried out, I don't want Jesus to put mud in my eyes. And then another toddler cried out, I don't want Jesus to put mud in my eyes either. And then the ultimate came with a three-year-old in the back who stood up and declared, Jesus is mean. This was not a very good moment for me as a children's pastor, so I did what anybody would do in this situation. I said, snack time, everybody. Goldfish for everyone. I can assure you as we read through this passage today that Jesus is not mean. Let's look at this um, passage as we start in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he, Jesus, went along. And he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva, and then he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, 
Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed them, and I now see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Okay, by this point, we know he said it over and over and over and over again. He put mud in his eyes. They, he answered, I've told you all already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love the little job. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at your birth, and how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I love the kindness of Jesus in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Remember, he had not seen Jesus yet until this moment. And then Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is the word of the Lord. When I look at this passage, I see differences in how we see things and God's perspective, okay? So take, for example, the Sabbath. 
at plain view, the way we see things, is that on the Sabbath, there is to be no work done. And so the Pharisees were up in arms that Jesus had worked, he had performed a miracle, per se, on the Sabbath. And they were, they were upset with him for breaking this law. However, from God's perspective, Jesus offering grace and giving this man his sight, perhaps he did not see this as work at all. Instead of work, what if Jesus saw this as an act of worship? Sabbath was designed for worship. And so if Jesus was worshiping his heavenly father by giving grace and healing to a man who was suffering, then this would be breaking no law at all. Number two, a man receives sight. Religious leaders were unwilling to believe this. They were unwilling to believe that the miraculous had taken place in front of them. They were, they were unwilling. And so the, the questioning and the trial and the getting of all the witnesses together, which seems like a little bit of work if you ask me, but it was on the Sabbath and they get everyone together and they're asking for all of these testimonies and they're wringing their hands because they can't believe that something miraculous has been done by someone that they don't know. But from God's perspective, a miracle had just occurred. The miraculous had invaded the, the normal rhythm of this life and this earth and something miraculous had happened by the hand and voice of God and it brought glory to God. Number three, mud. In just plain view, we wouldn't consider that putting mud in somebody's eyes would help them see better, correct? At face value, that seems absurd. But from God's perspective, he's giving a challenge of faith to this young man. Go and wash. Let me put mud in your eyes and go and wash. Now, if you think about it, so often we have God do the miraculous in our lives. And then he asks us to take that step of faith, to follow up with what he is already doing and had that man not done that, what if that man had taken his tunic and wiped the mud off his eyes and gone on his way and thought, crazy prophet, dude? He would have never received what he received. But by faith, God healed him. And number four, there's a physical blindness that's taken care of, and we can, we can see that by what's happened in the testimonies of the man and others. And at just face value, yeah, he was healed. That's a great thing. He's been released from his light and momentary affliction. But from God's perspective, he always wants something deeper and more for us. He didn't want to cure this man just from his physical blindness, but he wanted to heal him of his spiritual blindness. And so after a busy day, a long day, you can imagine this, this takes time to usher in all these people and hear testimonies and, and find them. And Jesus has a multitude of things to do, but he goes and he finds this man in private. And then he reveals himself to him, giving him the opportunity to receive salvation. 
in that moment, healing him not just of his physical blindness, but caring for the deeper thing, his spiritual blindness as well. We need to have God's perspective for our life and for those around us. It's, it's critical. And the way that we do that is that I need to ask God to give me his divine perspective of a person or a situation from his viewpoint because he sees all and knows all. And I make wrong conclusions when I look at things from my perspective or from my viewpoint. And I'm very concerned about my life and my happiness. I'm very concerned about the outcomes as I perceive them. But he sees all. He knows all. I was reminded of a woman when I was a kid's pastor years ago at a church where um, she would come with her three sons about 45 minutes late to church. Church started at 9 p.m. or 9 a.m. And she would, she would get there about 9.40 or 9.45 every week. And there was a little bit of frustration because our check-in stations had been put away. She would walk in and we would have to disrupt small group time or teaching or wherever we were in the service. And I remember just being like, oh, there she is again. Why, why is she coming 40 to 45 minutes late? This is what I could see with my own sight, right? And I remember thinking, well, maybe she thinks it starts at 10 o'clock because that's my own perspective. That, I'm drawing my own conclusion. So I went up to her one day and I said, hey, just so you know, um, church starts at 9 a.m. And just in case you didn't know, she, she looked at me like ashamed and, and embarrassed. And she said, no, I know. I'm, I'm a single mom. I've got these three boys. Mornings are really, really difficult for me. And I just... I felt so embarrassed and ashamed of myself. I remember just saying, God, like, what am, I, what am I even doing if I can't even see people the way that you see them? And so I rallied together my volunteers and my staff, and I said, okay, listen, next week when this woman comes, check-in stations are going to be open. We are going to greet them. These are their names. We're going to welcome them by name. We're going to be so happy they're here, even if it's for 15 or 20 minutes. We're going to make this the best 15 or 20 minutes of their week. We knew their son's names. And, and aside from basically balloons and a parade, we were there. We were like on it to see them the way that God sees them instead of seeing them as an inconvenience to my program. And when they walked in and we showered them with love and we called them by name and we asked them about their week and we ushered them into their kids' classes, something miraculous took place. Because we got to hear about their story. I got to hear about uh, her, her plights and how she needed a car and how she needed help with rental assistance and how she needed some counseling and things that were happening in the boys' lives and how we could bring father mentors into their lives. And we started becoming the body of Christ in this moment because we saw her the way that God saw her. And do you know, I tell you the truth, the very next Sunday, she was there at 9 a.m. Because she felt loved and she, saw, she felt seen and known. And she wanted 45 more minutes of God's love and being supported and not coming in, hiding in the shadows of embarrassment, but walking in in the confidence that God had given her 
through the body of Christ. Like the religious leaders, our sin will keep us from seeing. And like the blind man, our faith will allow us to see. And perspective is crucial, isn't it? There's a little book called The Insect and the Buffalo, and it talks about the Bountain Booty people who live in the rainforest, the dense rainforest of the northeastern Congo of Africa. Now, these people's lives are, are, are really documented to have geographical and even cultural isolation of where they live. And never leaving the village that is dense with trees and bushes all around them, there was, in 1950s, a British anthropologist who had, who had gone out there and he had built a relationship with one of the tribesmen. His name was Kenji. And on one day, this anthropologist took Kenji out on an exhibition miles and miles from this man's village of where he'd lived his entire life in these, the valley of these deep forests. And as they came out onto the plains of Africa, Kenji could now, for the very first time in his life, see for hundreds of miles. And when he looked out, his brain was playing tricks on him. He didn't have any context to have depth perception. And so he started talking to the anthropologist, like, what, what are all those um, little black dots? I mean, is there a swarm of insects out there? And the anthropologist laughed, and he turned to Kenji, and he said, no, that's not a swarm of insects. That's a herd of water buffalo. Water buffalo. His mind was blown. How could something so small be water buffalo? His eyes had been opened to see something he had never seen before. And just like Kenji, Kenji this, this, is, this is the small and broken world that you and I know. It's all we know. And this is the context that we interpret our lives and even God from is this small little perspective. And unless God can awaken us to see further and wider and deeper to things that he wants us to see, then we will look at something as big and as grand as a herd of water buffalo and consider it as small and insignificant as an insect. Perspective is so important. And we all have, at times, this rainforest perspective in life because it's all we've ever known. We've been shaped by it. Our backgrounds, our culture, our past hurts, our families. We have this myopic view of ourselves, of God, and of others. But aren't we glad that we serve a God who gives sight miraculously? I want you to think back to the mud in John chapter 9, why mud? This passage has always been very curious to me. It's curious to me because there's so much speculation of whether this is the blind man or not. I mean, they're bringing in witnesses and the parents have to be summoned. And people are saying, gosh, I don't know if that's him. It looks like him. And I have a friend who suffers from blindness. And if all of a sudden she received her sight, I just don't think she would look that different to me. I think I would look different to her. But 
I don't think she would look that different. And so why is there so much speculation over whether this is the man or not? And I just wonder, I wonder if perhaps the reason that they speculated that he looked unrecognizable is because I wonder if when he was born blind, he was born without eyeballs. I just wonder if, if perhaps he was born without eyeballs and then when God himself in the form of Jesus spat into the mud, it was just like when God formed Adam from the dirt and he breathed the very breath of life into Adam and he became a man. And in the same fashion, when he spit saliva into the mud, I wonder if he was breathing the very breath, the very creation of life into that dirt and forming out of that mud eyeballs that which never was. And I wonder if when he placed them into this man, he was forming and creating something that was never there before in his life. Not only is he healer, but in this moment, he's also creator, perhaps. And these are both things that are attributed to God. And when that man went and washed and not only could see, but then he would be unrecognizable to anyone that knew him. Because in the first century, there would be no other explanation for eyeballs other than the miraculous had taken place. God is both healer and creator. And as, as we sit here this morning, there are places in our lives, no doubt, that need healing. There are sins that you have committed willfully and knowingly. There are sins that have been committed against you, and you bear those scars. But there are those of us who also need God as creator. Broken places, absent fathers, lack of, of, of children or, or love or purpose or meaning or the things to the, that we need to do in this life, we don't seem to think we have them, and they needed to be created afresh. In Scripture, the blind man was unrecognizable, and I am telling you that as the Spirit of God works in your life, you will be unrecognizable. For the man who is struggling with his temper and the Holy Spirit grabs hold and gives him long suffering and patience and gentleness. That man is unrecognizable. For the person who's struggling with a gossipy tongue and a slandering attitude, and when God gets a hold of that mouth and all of a sudden words of wisdom and God's word and blessings are spilling from that mouth, that person will be unrecognizable. When there's a person who doesn't have faith to even get through another day because of the hardship that they are enduring, both physically or emotionally or mentally, and that person rises up with hands worshiping God and the joy of the Lord spilling out of that person, that is unrecognizable. Men and women, when God gets a hold of our life and he does his healing work and he creates in us something that is new, that is when we are giving glory to God. And by faith, we enter into this space with him because we know that God's word says that he who began a good work in us will be faithful. He says we can be confident that he will be faithful to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. This is our hope. And some of us have lost hope this morning because of what we see in front of us is insurmountable. 
It's too painful. We've lost hope. And we need the hope of the living God to fall afresh on us. And some of us need to have faith. And faith has feet. It's not just saying, I believe. It is walking down to that pool of Siloam and doing the crazy thing that God is asking of us and putting feet on our faith and saying, I can't see. By faith, I will, I will do what you've asked me to do. I will obey. Because what is seen is a faith. What is unseen is of faith. All of these is what's eternal. This is what God has given to us. And I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes right now. And, and as the Holy Spirit just speaks to you and shares the, the places where he wants to meet you, when we sing, I surrender all, I had the thought that, Lord, sometimes I say, Lord, I surrender most. I think sometimes I say, some to Jesus, I surrender. But God, we want to be people who we surrender all. And all to Jesus, we surrender. We don't want to live with the symptoms of our spiritual blindness. God, reveal it. Open our eyes to see. Just like the man that you, that you, you created a new life for him. Create a new life in us. We trust you. And by the power of Jesus, we, we will follow you. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Michelle. Yes, yes. <clears throat> beautiful telling of that story, the image of Jesus spitting in the mud, has always been a bit confounding, <clears throat> particularly because mud is one of the things that we think soils us and makes us dirty. And isn't it like Jesus to take something that we tend to grab onto and revert the other way in shame and guilt and who wants mud in their eyes? Because Jesus is mean, like the three-year-old said. But Jesus takes those very things to bring wholeness and to bring life. And as we prepare our hearts to come to the table in just a moment, communion attendants, you may come. We're going to pray the prayer of confession. And we don't pray it cowering in fear and shame and condemnation, but we pray it standing boldly before the throne of grace, saying, Lord, I feel muddy, and I don't know what to do about it. But if you can turn that mud into wholeness and sight and healing for me, then so be it. I want what you have, Jesus. If you would, let's stand together. The prayer of confession will be on the screens. Let's pray it aloud as one body. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory 
of your name. Now, if you would stretch your hand forward toward these communion elements, toward these communion attendants, we pray this prayer of the epiclesis, the calling of the Spirit to come and do what only the Holy Spirit of God can do. Holy Spirit, we ask that you and you alone would open human hearts and that you would descend upon these elements and make them more than crackers and juice, but make them into body and blood of Jesus Christ for the nourishment of our spirits. It is a mystery what happens in this moment, but we trust that you are present, that Jesus is present, and that Jesus is present pointing us to his Father. So Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our eyes. You can exit as we come. You can exit out the left side of your row. Come and receive the elements. Enter back on the right side of your rows, and we will partake together once everyone is served. Come to the table of the Lord. Amazing grace, how 
Unending love and amazing grace is what we receive here at this table. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Break the bread in your hand and receive the body of Jesus broken for you and for me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Excuse me. Let us receive the blood of Jesus shed for the remission of sins. Oh, thanks be to God for these good gifts. Amen. All right, well, let's sing and celebrate with the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father. Amen. Now, if you would, raise your hands as I send you back out into the world. Lord, we thank you for your presence here with us. And we pray that we would be sent back out into the world full of the peace of Christ, full of faith in who Jesus Christ is as the strong Son of God. And we ask for eyes to see ourselves, the world, and you the way that you really are. Now, church, go and be sent into the world. Amen. It was good to be together. Thank you, Dr. Michelle, and we'll see you next week.